0: detective. She'll rap. Sergeant <laughs> Detective. Context safety command. What's up? Co- context safety command. Delay that order. Context safety command. This is the captain. Context safety command. Get out of my chair. Chair, 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 chair. We have engaged the Klingons. The Klingons. Klingons. Welcome clean-ons. to the greatest discovery, It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of the greatest generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Today is a real special day. Because I mounted my TV on my wall. There's only one reason that today is special.
1: <laughs> one reason only. One vision <laughs> <reason> only. <laughs> Give me a reason for Shilly.
0: <laughs> our, our bouncing baby co-host, Benjamin R. Harrison, is all growns up today. Few people would ever assume you to be the younger of the two hosts of of Greatest
1: Generation. I know I forget it all the time. Uh, That's funny. I guess is is 37 the threshold? Oh, yeah. Yeah. If we were in a
0: science fiction movie, uh, you'd be put to death
1: this year. (laughs) That's when you grow up is when you turn 37 and then you're killed immediately in this dystopian future? I'm not saying it's fair. I'm just saying that's what happens. Happy birthday, buddy! Love you tons. Thanks, man. This is uh, this episode is not going to come out on my birthday. It's going to come That's out right. on a, a different day of import.
0: I was doing a, I was doing a little bit of twisting around in my in my reference of <laughs> the important date.
1: It <laughs> yeah. works for all of them. Uh, we're also recording like an hour later than we were scheduled to. You were kind enough to let me reschedule because what we do typically is record. Greatest Discovery on Thursday, the day that the episode comes out, and that gives mm-hmm. Rob's, 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 Rob's a couple of work days with the files so that he can get the edit squared away. And I uh, I think we both watch the episode twice. I usually watch once for funsies, and then I get out my notebook and watch it a second time and mm-hmm. write stuff down as I go. And in between my two viewings of this episode... I uh, I decided to wall mount my television. <laughs> uh, I was about halfway through that project when I realized, like, oh man, if I fuck this up or can't figure it out or very likely do something that damages my television, that like seriously hampers my ability to do the work that I. Do
0: <laughs> that is such a thing out of the Adam Pranica playbook, which is <laughs> like having a a pretty good sketch and grasp of of a day's work to come, like the things you need to do and yeah, yeah. and the slots that 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 work needs to go in. Yeah, but but I will, I'll I'll take a left. And then I'll do a project that I hadn't even, I hadn't even planned on doing a project at that, <laughs> at that moment in time. Because I feel like for some reason, it would benefit all the other things I have to do during the day, the day to, have, uh, to have the sense of urgency of being late like <laughs> for everything after my made up unnecessary project. <laughs> I need to inject that kind of stress into my life
1: oh wow so you do that do you do that intentionally like if I do this now then I'll be late for other stuff and that will that will give me the pressure I need to to force them through
0: Ben this is the tension in my entire life it's the i I feel restless and not really satisfied with a day that I get everything done in I, I can't like rest because <laughs> like what am i? What am I not doing with my free time? This is dumb. Yeah, like yeah. there's that, but then there's also the the corresponding feeling of cramming too much shit into my five pound bag a day, <laughs> and then constantly feeling behind for all of it. Oh man, I just I can't be happy, and I'm the cause. <laughs> Everyone's been telling me this. Why are these boxes of Kleenexes all around? Right.
1: <laughs> Why all these uh, jars of urine? <laughs> uh, I, I guess I didn't quite pull from the Adam Pranica playbook then because... Because you succeeded in your task. Well, I, the, my my task took far longer than I anticipated, but uh, I thought that I had, like, come up with... A oh well, as long as I am doing this, I can do that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Where I had I had gone and gotten a, a few tools because there was a drawer in. There's like a built-in cabinet in my in my living room that had like really ugly plastic drawer pulls on on all the drawers, and so. My friend Jesse Thorne, the proprietor of MaximumFun.org, happened to have some nice, like, ceramic vintage uh, drawer hardware that he gave me. And I, I've been meaning to put this stuff on. Drawer pulls. <laughs> drawer, drawer pulls. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I went to put them on. And the first one, like, it just fit on the holes that were already in the drawer. And then the second one was like, what? These holes are further apart than the other ones? And then I discovered that they were off center, also. I had like three quarters of the things out already that I needed to do the TV wall mounting. So I was like, well, this is the same room and the wall mount is right here in this box that's been sitting on the table for two days. I might as well just knock this project down also. (laughs) But then, you know, that's like a pretty involved thing with a stud finder and just discovering that the hex head bolts that I needed to put on needed a larger size uh, of... Uh, socket than my socket wrench has, and it just took it. It took a lot more steps than I anticipated, and I almost forgot to eat lunch over it because I was like, I was in the, I was in the zone. You know, the worst time to remember you haven't
0: eaten lunch is is mid show. <laughs> it's the worst. Yeah. yeah. Glad you remembered. You're going to need to pack a lunch for this episode, Ben, because <laughs> there's a lot in here. There sure is. You got your sandwich. I know you hate sandwiches, but you got your sandwich in your Ziploc bag. You got Mm -hmm. your juice box. You got your apple, for some reason, wrapped in cellophane. Yeah.
1: I got a packet of Gushers
0: with a shark. Yeah. Yeah, You got to get that shark gusher. Let's get down to eat, Ben. It's Star Trek Discovery season three, episode three.
1: People of Earth. Hey, do you want to trade sandwich halves? We start with kind of the uh the letter that Michael Burnham is writing to the disco crew. It, it's like a personal log that she is um trying to kind of recap what her life has been like for the year in between her coming through the time butthole and the disco coming through the time butthole. So it's actually kind of a flashback, right? Cuz it it like this episode starts before the end of the last episode
0: it really makes a recap podcast fun (laughs) (laughs) this kind of thing ben if you flipped open your phone and saw a voicemail message that you know had been converted into text and it was this long (laughs) (laughs) i imagine you would have preferred an email or maybe a couple of text messages
1: right yeah This, this one is a little on the wordy side michael burnham yeah, this is like when disco comes through the butthole and reconnects to Wi-Fi. All the push notifications just come all at once. <laughs> it's Michael just constantly going you up. <laughs> Would you rather be the disco as the
0: recipient of a five-minute voicemail message or or just a "we need to talk" text?
1: <laughs> I really liked the uh, idea of this getting interrupted mid. Mid-record, because they get the, you know, her communicator starts squawking at her.
0: Right. This is my life now, and I... I think it's interesting that a show produced in these times, I say gesturing everywhere, uh, like, we all know how fast hair grows now. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no question about it we We have a sense of of how much it grows, given the amount of time you have to grow it uh why is this show fucking with us about how long it takes Michael Burnham to grow her hair in a single year?
1: Well, come on i mean i like nobody naturally grows that much hair even without even with more than a year to grow it
0: I'm trying to contextualize it in a passage of time,
1: yeah. I mean, we do see we do see multiple looks, but I didn't really get the feeling that those looks were meant to imply that was all the same hair. You know, like those could be wigs or just—I mean, like who knows, man? This that, we saw a guy take out a pen and make a new radio transistor in the last episode.
0: Yeah, he made a, a flashlight out of out of some mist. So yeah.
1: you could make hair like that, probably.
0: You could make hair out of a flashlight in this universe. <laughs>
1: The hug scene that you talked about in the last episode is one of the first things we get. This is a scene where Michael is reconnecting with her crew. It's also a scene that establishes that Mirror Universe Giorgio's love language is glaring.
0: <laughs> Always has been. I'm trying to make that my love language, and it's not going well. <laughs> it's not working, huh? Uh, this just this is just how I express affection. <laughs> Uh, here's a question: You've uh, you've catapulted yourself, Ben, nine hundred years into the future, mm-hmm. uh, and you have available to you uh, what could be confused as a magical way of transporting yourself places. Yeah. Why would you ever use the discovery transporter ever again after after having access to the transporter that book gives her? This is like. This is like having access to to jet travel and then like using the Wright brothers plane to <laughs> to get from place to place it seems very dangerous
1: that's not addressed in this scene, but there is a scene later where Book uses the transporter yeah. and does it comes and he up does again. it looks like his breath is taken away by yeah. that uh <laughs> it doesn't usually tingle that long. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that felt very radioactive.
0: They cut out the part where he padded his pockets uh and his junk just to make yeah. sure everything
1: made it over. Michael has a little catch-up with Saru. They uh you know talk a little bit about what michael has been up to in the meantime how she became a courier this seems like a semi-scandalous to saru because the only courier he met was zara and zara was a douche so, right. so she's she's like a little defensive about it she's like it's the only way i could like get around and learn new things otherwise i'd have been stuck he looks down and gestures at your
0: boots Glad that they aren't boots and spurs down there.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm I'm glad you haven't joined the evil side of careers.
0: <laughs> it's an exposition walk here uh, because
1: we are really fitting a lot of story into the time that we've got. I really like the the young guy coming off the elevator and calling her commander, and that just kind of like putting her into slow-mo though like it's, it's some it's a part of her identity that she has become very unmoored from and it's like a sudden reminder of her place in the chain of command i thought it was fun
0: that uh, as soon as that guy leaves to walk down the corridor she turns to
1: saru and she's like who the fuck was that guy i <laughs> <laughs> I had to watch that twice because the first time because he's he's a, a South Asian guy and and I thought maybe the implication was gonna be that he was related to the dude that's been keeping the vigil in the mm-hmm. in the space station. Uh, oh, interesting that we uh, that we saw in the first episode I was I was like, oh, is that guy his grandson because I just didn't catch what he said right or, or not grandson like great 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 grandfather. <laughs> I don't know how yeah. long people live in the future.
0: No, and we don't know how fast their hair grows either. There are a lot of (laughs) unknowns here. Uh, This is what Burnham is here to share, though. Once she gets to the bridge, she's got a lot of knowledge to drop, and uh, it begins with what she's learned
1: about uh, the Federation, which is still very little. I like to think about the AV sound check moment before this, McLaughlin Group. Issue one, because she's got some some media collateral that she's queued up uh, when she starts talking about it. Like,
0: there's no way her her stick could integrate into like the USB one that
1: <laughs> Discovery has. Yeah, that shit's so obsolete at this point. But yeah, this is a um, this is a message from Admiral Senatall who basically says like, hey.
2: This is Admiral Senatal. I will wait for any who would join us on Earth, anyone who still believes in us. Federation lives on.
0: If you can make up any name, you can't do Senatal. And the reason (laughs) is the first name and the last name just collide into each other. It's not easy to say, it's not easy to understand. I kept on hearing Senator, like, (laughs) make a better
1: name. (laughs) <laughs> maybe he's named after that race car man
0: oh Ayrton Senna yeah
1: yeah yeah maybe I mean Tall is probably the name of the ankylosaur right spoiler alert like she built I feel like she oversells
0: this moment a little bit she's like and I have a message from Senna Tal let's hear it and then she like cues the, the AV person on the bridge Bryce who has taken the thing out and flipped it upside down and put it back in thing. <laughs> so based on this message, they're like, let's go to Earth. That's the plan.
1: I love how fast things are. Like, they, they're they not like, okay, let's like go hit one of the exchanges, like trade some dilithium for some, some sundries, uh, you know, stretch your legs. It's like, no. Like, we came through the time butthole. We spent the entire last episode fixing our ship. Now it's back to Earth with a quickness.
0: You don't need Cenotel to go back to Earth, right? Like, wouldn't that have been the
1: plan the entire time? I mean, you could go to Vulcan. You could go to... Wait, would Vulcan be destroyed in this timeline or not? Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) You definitely wouldn't go to Romulus. That's for sure dead, right? Right. I like this plan, though. I'm with it. I'm with it, too. Um, Saru kind of thinks that Michael is here to jack him for his chair. He's like, hey, should we go like huddle in the corner and figure out who's going to be in charge here? And she's like, I don't want those rights nor those responsibilities, Saru. I recognized something in
0: Michael Burnham right away, which was the (laughs) like the clear invitation to rejoin giant corporation. Uh-huh. And the utter resistance to the idea after working a little bit of freelance. <laughs> she is like, I used to fetishize the chair, Saru, I get it, but uh, I, I've got a great chair. I can have as many chairs as I want uh, yeah. elsewhere, so it's yours. You see it as a chair. I see it as a straight jacket, man. (laughs) How about the chair being the only thing in focus in this composition? They actually soft focus Sonequa Martin-Green here and sharp focus
1: the chair. I thought that was a a really cool shot. Uh, The chair just looks great, too.
0: Saru is the dad who makes a speech before every meal though. <laughs> and he just can't help but turn this into a moment to make another speech. And I I don't know about you. I wasn't there yet for the enormity of this moment. Like everything the visual and and musical language of this scene is like is soaking you in. Yeah. In the drama of the moment, and for some reason, this felt uh, this felt premature and and off to me. Like, I, I guess maybe I'm just thinking too much about being in the future and trying to solve a problem instead of Saru's
1: big day. It's an interesting moment. I kind of agree that there's more corn, and especially at the beginning of this episode, than I uh, mm-hmm. am used to in in Discovery. Um, I don't know. Where it all comes from. This is a Frakes episode, right? Um, and I feel like he is—he is a director that is very confident in using sentimentality, and—and and yet, you know, he isn't the scriptwriter. So, but he
0: definitely seizes upon moments in the stories that he's given to emphasize uh, individual journeys, individual significant moments. Like he he does goose those things in a way that is very, that is unique to him, perhaps. Yeah.
1: We get a pretty touching scene in uh, one of the hallways with Tilly. I don't know if they've established this memorial wall before, but I really liked this. It was it's like a couple of spots on the wall where they put up the badges, presumably of crew members who have lost their lives in the line. And Tilly is there, like, kind of having having a moment of reflection about the lives that they left behind, and all the people that they left behind, and lived and died since since they left. Yeah. And I thought, uh, I thought this was one of the strongest moments in the episode. Like thinking sincerely about like how painful time travel would actually be is something that very few. Like most sci-fi is so like fetishistic about the mechanics of time travel, and I think right. that this was a really great moment in, in terms of just thinking about what it would actually do to a human's emotional life. I think uh, Mary Wiseman is is the perfect conduit to,
0: to share these feelings. I like this scene quite a bit, but I wonder if there was ever a corresponding scene last season that we might have gotten where the departing crew members left their badges behind oh interesting like i was thinking about the the literal interpretation of what there's of what we're seeing and we're seeing people's badges and 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 other memorabilia here like did they did they make this stuff the way Uh, that the way that you would set up like a roadside memorial not out of a person's not out of a missing person's things but out of something that you've created right uh, it made me think of that. And also, like, uh, God, I'm glad you, you brought up Jonathan Frakes, because I think this scene uh, is constructed really well visually. The thing that I noticed about it was how, like, when you're lighting a, a, a person for film or television, you'll often, I'm not explaining this to you, I'm explaining this to anyone else, literally. Uh, <laughs> like like three-point lighting is a, is a thing that you hear a lot about, uh, your, your key and your fill and your, your other fill. And the way that the You've light- You've
1: always got a couple of fills in your life, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> the way that the light comes through the gap in Michael Burnham's hair and lights her jaw and her cheek. Yeah is so next level. Like I I love how you don't notice the break in her hair that is creating that. Yeah. But what yeah. you're trying to do is is create a rim with that light to emphasize that side of her face, to make her face look three-dimensional, and you don't get that without without making that change in her hair and allowing the light to come through. And I think the same thing happens to Tilly's hair. She's got so much more of it, but but again, if you're able to like get the light up and under yeah. in a way to emphasize the jaw i just thought like the lighting in this scene especially was really great yeah
1: this is a a well-lit episode all the way around i think and uh that, that's a great moment to call out for sure
0: when when tilly accuses michael burnham of moving on the wordless admission of that i think was maybe an emotional punctuation of the entire episode like that uh that swimming head that SMG can do, the holding back of tears that she can't really do
1: completely, like, great moment. Totally great moment. Um, yeah, really interesting to think about, like, what that must be like, kind of holding out hope, but also making peace with the fact that you're never going to see your crew again.
0: Yeah. And then not being able to, to flip it back.
1: Right. And, and I think that that's kind of the a story of this episode in a way, like the, the whole arc that Michael goes on in this episode is about is about that conflict. And, and it's interesting because it's like it's both a conflict, but also Tilly identifies that Michael Burnham seems like more at ease with herself
0: right now. Tilly like has a college friend who did study abroad and has come back and is and is like we were roommates and really close. What happened to you in France? Yeah. Well, I
1: took a weekend trip to Ibiza and uh, And now that's how I say it. <laughs> Anyways. I don't know if you do this in your notes, but uh I, I got Tired of writing out mirror universe Giorgio, so I started just abbreviating her to mug. Oh. And now I just want to call her mug. Uh
0: every version of Giorgio that I write in my notes has a red underline and there are yeah. about thirteen different ways that I
1: spell it for for haste. it auto corrects well just all uh, capital m capital u capital g no red underline adam so take that as my gift to you thank you she beams a book over to the ship and is kind of the welcome wagon slash tsa interview for him i don't understand how she can move throughout the ship doing whatever
0: she wants like Book was clearly expecting another transporter employee here. Welcome aboard. You're not Detmer. (laughs) O can just go and beam this guy over.
1: Yeah. It cuts to, like, Detmer, who's been cut limb from limb and shoved into a closet. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I guess we'll never find out what was wrong with her. Yeah. uh, (laughs) the, The interview here is on the subject of whether Michael Burnham is up to something, which... I feel like it was really interesting. Does does Michael Burnham have some ulterior motive is a question I don't feel like this episode answers. I feel like they're planting something for future episodes.
0: Or uh planting something in us to question when when Book and Burnham take off and Book ship a little later.
1: Like is that is this foreshadowing that yeah i'm not sure i mean this was another part that felt bumpy to me both times i watched this episode like i i i i trust this show a lot but this sort of feels like they're trying to have maybe both things like potentially this is just planting something for this episode potentially it's planting a bigger storyline that will follow through the season but just in a vacuum it seems like it could be bad writing
0: the jingling keys of this scene for me was just like overbearing mom asking if book is is fucking michael burnham like, yeah it was hard for me to get past that into
1: <laughs> any other subtext that was happening in this moment so now we know what michael burnham means when she says friend in the truest sense
0: right <laughs> I, you can't have a scene with Giorgio and anyone and not think that she's making a play to fuck that person. Also, right? Like they've done a very good job on this show in in
1: cementing that subtext into every scene that she's in. Do you think that's why she asks? Because she doesn't want to fuck the partner of somebody that she kind of thinks is a daughter of as a daughter.
0: That kind of pornography was, was popular many centuries ago,
1: but not anymore. For a time, that seemed to be the only thing on spankbang.com. It was very popular for Ted Cruz types for a time. <laughs> but then he made it very not cool. <laughs> That's actually when my universe split off from yours.
0: You're really going to not want to think about why Book gets the tour here from Michael Burnham and is brought directly to basically
1: the ship's bank vault of dilithium. Yeah, the Fort Knox of... I mean, you think about what this represents to them. You've seen the little vials yeah. of dilithium that these people covet so much. This is like, the, the disco is like the richest ship in the galaxy.
0: You remember that episode of This Old House where Rich Trithui goes to the marble quarry Uh and he sees how the slabs are cut and made? Yeah, yeah. I feel like if those marble slabs were pure uncut cocaine, like (laughs) that's what the dilithium storage compartment on on the disco is. It's, It's an absurd amount of dilithium. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. How can anyone on the ship be sure that Burnham hasn't been compromised from her year away. No one questions her. They allow her free reign. This is 930 years into the future. They can't be sure that she's not a clone. Oh, man. Or something.
1: Or books, hologram.
0: Yeah. I think there might be some intention in this. Like This might be a feeling that the show is trying to stoke in me Mm -hmm. and a
1: viewer, but this
0: just feels very
1: dangerous. Right. There's a uh, a couple of scenes like this in this episode. Uh, there's a meeting in the ready room between Burnham and Saru. Th- there's still a busted table in this room.
0: Yeah. When are they going to clean that up? Because the guy who normally cleans busted tables was in the spore box cleaning up <laughs> blood. <laughs> then they have one guy on the ship that does that. And going back to the... <laughs> Going back to the moment where crew people decide to stay or go before going through the wormhole, you know that guy,
1: what was his name, Gene? Yeah, that's, that's what he wants you to think.
0: <laughs> Gene had a moment where he could stay in the past or go into Please, the future.
1: Call him Hazmat, his given name.
0: <laughs> Ensign Hazmat probably thought he had a, a promotion opportunity by going into the future, but instead <laughs> he's using snow shovels on yeah. entrails and, uh, and he's getting yelled at for leaving broken tables around.
1: Just my luck to be stranded in the future with a ship full of people, and I am the lowest person on the org chart getting the worst jobs. Fuck.
2: There was time now.
0: I was in a grocery store yesterday uh, for the first time in a very long time. Wow. uh, Because I wanted to get a pumpkin because (laughs) uh, I wanted to carve that pumpkin and have a Halloween. Uh Uh-huh. So I go in there, and I get the pumpkin, and I've got it in my arms, and I take it You know, to the check stand, and I pay, and I hear the unmistakable sound of a hundred bottles of wine falling on the ground. (laughs) And then moments later, like the PA call in the grocery store asking for, you know, the bucket guy. (laughs) <laughs> ensign hazmat, clean up on aisle seven. <laughs> I was ensign
1: hazmat in a grocery store. I actually loved those jobs because it gave me something to do for a long time. Yeah, nobody can ask you to do anything else while you're cleaning up the glass and the and the wine. Yeah.
0: I don't know why I told you that story. It just seemed, seemed related.
1: It was beautiful. So Saru is like appreciative of the fact that Michael threw her weight behind his claim to the captain's chair. But is you know he's like a little I mean like he, I think he's kind of giving voice to some of the things you're talking about here like what's uh, what's your, what's your game here and uh, like who who are you loyal to what are you loyal to are you part of this crew or not and um, she's she's writing for book to come with them to Earth because he's got a cloaking device and if he is. His ship is in the shuttle bay. They can stash all the dilithium on the ship, cloak the ship, and then it won't show up on scans when people try to see what they've got on board. And this is this is a risk that she's got to talk Saru into. Like, hey, can you put like the, the, the cache of the most valuable substance in the galaxy that we have happen to have a ton of on this other guy's ship and then trust him not to leave with it? If you were to
0: assign a percentage to it, how sure were you that Michael Burnham was sincere in this plan versus it being a con at this moment in time?
1: Uh, I felt pretty good about it being a sincere plan at this moment, I think.
0: I think this plan is insane, and I think Saru trusting her makes him unfit
1: for command. (laughs) You think he should be, he should be stripped of rank when when this mission is over.
0: This is a this is a bell they're ringing with Saru over and over again, and we've gotten it for the past couple episodes. His he's so trusting and stubborn about about his trust that he's got to ask more questions here.
1: I wonder if they'll have a storyline about the fact that his ganglia have gone from threat ganglia to spike ganglia mm. if, if that is changing something about how he experiences his sense of what is and isn't risky that's a really interesting question
0: another thing I was thinking about in this episode is is how I feel like there has been a circumstance where Michael Burnham has had to manipulate Saru uh, related to the mirror universe and mm-hmm. how familiar this must feel to a Saru who may or may not be feeling like what he's getting from her is is legit yeah anyway like books ship has a cloaking device why don't they just cloak the dilithium
1: oh yeah we just watched an episode of ds9 where they're like walking around with a cloaking device if you could just unplug from books and oh but the usb is probably different right he's got USB-C and they've got usb1 yeah that's probably what it is.
0: This is not a good Saru episode for me and I'm going to keep I'm going to keep fucking nailing this guy because <laughs> his condescension at Michael Burnham like that that fucking passive aggressive like you know I'd love to really entertain the idea you're proposing to me but I just really doubt your judgment based on how you didn't want to be captain of this ship a moment ago <laughs> like that doesn't make any sense. Anyone would want to be captain of this ship. Fuck off, Saru, really? Like, get over
1: yourself. I think he's also maybe kidding himself about how well he is doing deal- with the transition. Like, he talks in the in that first walk and talk about, you know, the crew feel really, like, at sea and are feeling a lot of ways about being disconnected from their timeline, but I have, like, natural defenses against that because I'm a Kelpian, and maybe he's just telling himself that maybe he is just as fucked up inside as as anyone else and just feels like he can't express it, you know?
0: Michael Burnham's been with technology a thousand years better than is on the disco and he's like, wow, it's really weird that the chair doesn't flood your basement. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he's not applying any empathy to this situation either. They're not trying to understand each other. Yeah. In an
1: episode that is kind of about that later, Yeah, I guess so. So they make the jump to Earth. I think Book probably has the chillest reaction to his first spore jump of anyone we've seen have a reaction to their first spore jump. Right. Didn't she, like, pass out the first time they did it? Yeah, it seemed like a thing. I feel like episode one, everybody was, like, barfing when they did a spore jump, and he's like, wow, that was rad! I like the cut
0: of burnham's hands on her station like felt like she didn't like it you know like this this giant monitor like the crt monitor (laughs) when i'm used to using
1: a flat screen yeah yeah everybody talking about their technology seeming antique is very funny yeah um i also like the moment where she puts her uniform back on like that feels like like she is kind of reconnecting with her old self in a way that i thought was really well done Seems like
0: we've come a long way when we just get a spore jump without seeing inside the spore box anymore. Like, we
1: we live on the bridge for this. They arrive at Earth, and Earth has uh, a very bristling defense system. It looks like a cat that's very suspicious of them. It puffs its tail up and raises shields, raises a planetary level of shields, and... A bunch of hostile, non-Starfleet ships come up off the surface, and they're armed, and they get the hail, and the, they get made fun of for putting it on view screen when uh, when they answer this hail. <laughs> so uh, it's uh, hostile and condescending Earthlings here, right?
0: Up on the screen is United Earth Defense Force Captain Ndoye, and she does not roll out the welcome mat for the discovery. I thought she was great. Like,
1: her jumpy suspiciousness of them felt dangerous as hell. And, like, the more you learn about this character, the more you understand why she's so jumpy but like it it takes a lot of force of will for saru to get her to like hold off on killing them long enough to explain you know their cover story which is we've we were on a top secret long-range mission we don't know anything about this burn we're just looking for starfleet where are they at pretty nice bit of improvisation by saru
0: here He's like, uh, all right, guys, we need a reason for coming back to <laughs> to sector 001. What do you got? Can I get a s- suggestion from the audience?
1: Science mission is is always going to be the suggestion from the audience.
0: Right. And I love how Endoye uh, like, speeds right through the speed bump that is Saru. Like, not waiting for permission. Just go ahead and, and beam all of your inspectors on board is what she does. Yeah, they need to do that to check
1: to make sure
0: they're not pirates.
1: Indeed, the implication of this is quite offensive to Saru, but that's it's it's like there are people with guns everywhere on the ship all of a sudden, and if you weren't on the bridge, you didn't get any warning about that.
0: Saru is so naive, like like taking umbrage with with being questioned at
1: all about this is ridiculous.
0: Very well, Captain Endoya.
1: There is a scene where Michael Burnham gets booked into a Starfleet uniform because he's got to he's got to present as being a member of their crew. He can't seem like a contemporary era person. And uh, he is very uncomfortable with this. Him getting into uniform really reminded me of like when I was eight years old and I'd be in the school play and my character would have to wear tights and mm. it would just be like, what? No, I can't. I cannot possibly. I have to wear shorts and a Bart Simpson t-shirt. You had to wear tights
0: and the and like top part of your tunic ended at your waist. So right. you were just
1: hanging nuck. Yeah, it's very hard to find a cod piece that is a suitable <laughs> size for an eight-year-old.
0: Gross. <laughs> There's a there's kind of a touching moment here where uh, Michael Burnham grabs a uh, a badge, puts it on Book's chest, and then uh, and then moves it down a couple inches, and was like, "How's this?" <laughs> and then puts it down a couple more inches, and she's like, "What about that?"
1: That's what we call hanging a Hudson.
0: Yeah how how Hudson do you want it? Book?
1: <laughs> As if the legend of Cal Hudson uh spans centuries yeah yeah he's like give me the full hudson he says confidently yeah
0: everyone's changing clothes ben uh Georgiou dresses herself as an admiral which is a mm-hmm. fun bit of business to think about that anyone could just replicate any uniform of any rank either that or she knows how to hack the replicators which right is also fun yeah <laughs> she's got michael pegged about going freelance though She's like, "You love this shit about making your own hours, about being your own boss. I can tell. Why would you ever want to work for this big
1: corporation? You want to you want to work for a guy who I want to eat? Why?" <laughs> <laughs> So uh, the
0: McLaughlin group issue two. that commences later is uh, Saru, Burnham, and this and this captain, Endoye. And uh, Captain Endoye brings the group up to speed about what's happened to Earth and where Starfleet and the Federation have gone. They've left Earth. They left Earth 100 years ago, and they haven't been seen since. It didn't make sense to keep them around because there's all these raiders raiding people for their dilithium and the the implication is that uh, you want to get the dilithium keepers off
1: of your planet and then close up shop. Uh, if Earth was just getting raided left and right before they started this United Earth Defense Force, you can understand why the United Earth Defense Force would be a shoot first ask questions later type organization. Like they have right. they they are as paranoid and skeptical of everything as you're advocating for Saru to be, basically. You Great. think that Captain Andoye should become the captain of the Discovery.
0: Oh, I mean, just wait a couple of scenes, and, and I'll tell you how much I think that should be the case. <laughs> okay. I'm prepared to argue that point. Buried in this meeting is their whole reason for being there, which is, uh, which is looking for this admiral with a name that's hard to pronounce. Admiral Tall. What a tongue twister, Adam. <laughs> Doye, uh flips up her, her fancy computer and is like, yeah, uh
1: dead rsvp admiral tall died a couple of years ago leaving the planet yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a bucket of cold water on saru's lap he was he was very excited about getting some some answers here in the engineering section the inspectors are quite a bit less cordial with the crew um they're just kind of like opening panels and looking everywhere and touching stuff that stamets doesn't want them touching all the monitors are being touched with bare fingers yeah they've got a couple of those scanners like they have in prometheus for scanning Mm -hmm. the ancient temple of the engineers oh yeah one thing i thought about in this scene in particular looking around the engineering section at all of the crew members like most of the main cast of this show are human but there are a lot of background aliens that are like very exotic kinds of aliens you're not seeing like a bunch of Vulcans a bunch of any specific group of aliens how are those aliens gonna fuck (laughs) they're stuck on a ship with like a couple hundred people They got nobody to fuck. Oh, I'm sure they could
0: think of a way. As long as there's a Georgiou on your ship, you're you're (laughs) going to have someone to fuck. Your sexual appetites will be met. Yeah. If not exceeded. It's a great point you bring up. And I think for so many years on Star Trek, I think you're expecting to, if, if you're wearing the loaf... You're going to be in sharp focus. You're going to be in the foreground. How many people on this show are sitting in makeup chairs for eight hours to be in soft focus at a station in the
1: background? There are aliens on this crew that I still don't feel like we've gotten a very good look at. No way. Like, we've seen for three seasons now just, like, wandering around pushing boop boops in the background. And... (laughs) We don't know what they are or what they're, you know, I don't... There's a couple of people on the bridge where I'm like, does this character have a mouth?
0: Mom, you'll you'll love my scene in the third episode. Um, kind <laughs> of the blurry red splotch.
1: <laughs> drama school was worth it. Yeah. Speaking of drama school, Adam, we meet Adira, the 16-year-old inspector from the Earth Defense Force. She is uh, She is really tearing stuff apart, looking looking at stuff, asking a lot of probing questions that Stamets feels very uncomfortable with. Her boss, uh, one of the other inspectors, kind of scolds her in front of them, which, you know, when you see like one cop get scolded by another cop, you right. know you know that that's a fucked up cop, right?
0: Yeah. Uh, both of these inspectors are bastards. Uh, right. But there's an interesting kind of tension having to do with Adira's age, which is like, on the one hand, I see Adira walking around doing work, and I'm like, why do the inspectors need a 16-year-old to work for them? That that seems weird. But then you get the sense that Adira is kind of a Doogie Howser type.
1: Yeah. Yeah. She's a teen genius. It's right. said a trillion times in this episode.
0: As you're running questions in the background, uh, you get interrupted by a red
1: alert. That's because raiders have approached. Yes. They want dilithium. And Doye has talked a little bit about their current raider du jour here at earth is a, a character named Wen. And Wen is a real son of a bitch, real ruthless in her mind. And she doesn't even want Saru to get Wen on the, on the view screen, like ha- like hailing frequencies with Wen is a mistake in her opinion. And uh, I feel like I had a lot of, uh, a lot of empathy for Endoye up until this scene but like as the episode completes this confrontation I feel like Endoyer reveals herself to be a fucking idiot oh really yeah because she starts ordering her ships to open fire on Wen and then Michael Burnham and Book steal Book's ship at, with all of the dilithium to see if they can go head off this uh, shooting conflict before it starts, but that causes Endoya to say, "Like, go, sh- like, go ahead and shoot the ship full of dilithium, the most valuable thing in in this timeline, and uh, and not call that off when Saru orders Detmer to put the disco in between the Earth defense ships and Book's ship." Endoye is acting like she is not on a ship that's about to get shot out of the sky. <laughs>
0: I I agree with you with how ridiculous that is, but but also Saru is an almost equal idiot to Endoya here because he's he's choosing to go to war with Earth here. He's choosing to sacrifice his ship for a Michael Burnham that he doesn't know if he can trust, and and even I think Detmer's great here. Detmer's like, what are we doing, Saru? And Saru like kind of yells at her on the bridge he's lost control of like he doesn't have any authority on the bridge anymore and he's right not to and doye knows the score but no one's making smart decisions here i think i think as far as the motivations go and like the reality of the situation this scene is a mess it,
1: it, it is kind of a mess i think the i think the episode in general is a bit of a mess like there's a lot i like about this episode and a lot i like about what it implies season 3 Will start to look like, but uh but yeah, like when so so Burnham and Book play a, a a three card monty on Wen, where they make Wen believe that he's about to get all the dilithium and use that as a pretext for him to drop his shields so that they can take him prisoner. Just when they get him back to the disco. He he's on he's on board the disco, and somebody's like, "Great! The raiders will not keep firing because they won't they won't fire a ship that they know their captain is on." Which means Wen's raiders are much more scrupulous than the Earth Defense Force, <laughs> right? Because you'd
0: expect that same reasoning to apply to the Earth Defense Force as long as Endoya uh, is on
1: board, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: God, yeah.
1: It's rough. It's like, it's all happening so fast that I feel like, I mean, like the first time I watched it, I was like, fine, who cares? But under a second layer of scrutiny, I was like, give me a break. <laughs> Silly. Anyways, they get when into the captain's ready room. And, uh, Saru is like, now do diplomacy. You, Ndoye, you, Wen, talk nice to each other. Say something you like about the other person. And, uh, and Mug, like, kicks Wen in the in the knee and rips off his rubber mask and he goes, "No, oh, I would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for you meddling kids. Because Wen turns out to be old Mr. Hubbard.
0: <laughs> Fucking Wizard of Oz shit, man. <laughs> Fucking Scooby-Doo shit. I love the makeup job they did with this character. Like, as yeah. you get his backstory, you understand that he's from an impoverished... Uh, moon, and he's been struggling with his, with his people for a long time. He
1: looks like a man who's starving. Yeah, he, he's they cast for Gaunt and then enhanced that with makeup. Yeah, really great job. Also, one thing I really liked is that he's from Titan, which is a moon of Saturn, which uh-huh. is the planet that the disco came out of its spore jump next to. So yeah. that makes sense why... It would have raised the alarm for, for Wen and his people when when Disco did a faster-than-light travel near them. Saru looks at,
0: at Wen and Ndoye and is like, this is the moment in Star Trek episodes where we usually talk about trading things and talking and trading more things and talking, and then you trade more things and Star Trek. And then he looks at the camera.
1: <laughs> the Prestige.
0: And doy, it's like I've never seen Star Trekking done like that before. It's yeah. been
1: centuries since we've seen anyone Star Trek someone else like that. It was really an honor. And she shakes Saru's <laughs> hand, and then Wen shakes his hand. She dumps a bucket of Gatorade
0: on top of Saru's head,
1: <laughs> and his uh, his head daggers tear through the bucket. And then Wen like falls on the falls on the floor, slurping desperately at the Gatorade because he's so thirsty. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, like this was a, uh, a mutual mistrust thing. when people lost their their comms, and when they went to Earth to ask for help in a ship, their ship got exploded. You know, like that one misunderstanding set the tone. If only Wen hadn't worn
0: the mask, uh, all of this could have been prevented. Joye <laughs> sees this as a big victory for Saru and like rewards him with shore leave on earth. And also you can have Adira. I'm going to throw
1: Adira into the mix. Yeah.
0: Congratulations,
1: Stamets kind of, uh, coaxes Adira out of a Jeffrey's tube and, and gets her to start talking. And, uh, I thought his, um, his like cool big brother routine was pretty funny now there's something you're holding back on also is it there Adira
0: (laughs) this doesn't feel like statements though
1: I feel like he kind of like he's he's like putting it on because she's a kid yeah like like he's not being as mean to her if she was two years older than she is that's fair like he recognizes something of himself in Adira yeah maybe It turns out that she is a human, but she's got an ankylosaur. Right. And that ankylosaur is Cenotel. Yeah. Well, it's it's the Tal symbiont. Right. What we can assume.
0: Yeah, but but Adira isn't an admiral. I guess you don't, uh, the job doesn't transfer into the body, I guess. Yeah. That's too bad.
1: Much like your debts are all are all eliminated when you die as a as a joint trill, I mean, like it's interesting. They say that like she like can't access the the past life memories quite as easily as she would be able to if she was a born trill, Mm -hmm. which I think is very interesting. Um, She's not going on and on like Esri Dax
0: about. How haunted she is by her past lives and how confusing it is
1: to have relationships with anyone because of it. She's like, am I a vegetarian or a murderer? I can't decide. (laughs) So Adira is going to come with them, finally solving the puzzle that we've all been wondering about. Why is there this other person on the poster for Star Trek Discovery Season 3?
0: Well, it's a good thing Adira is going with them because Stamets has confided everything in her about their technology Lead with
1: trust, right? That's the that's the Starfleet way?
0: I guess. I mean, except Saru has been uh, running around this entire episode without pants. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, Michael and Saru have another conversation in the ready room where she's like, listen, I know I went behind your back and tried to sneak off the ship with 100% of that dilithium and... I'm going to have to do a lot to build back your trust in me. But uh, as far as the first officer of the discovery job is concerned, I accept. Thank you.
0: (laughs) And Saru's like,
1: I actually retracted that offer five scenes ago. I was thinking about giving it to Georgiou, honestly. Like, she seems more trustworthy than you today. You know how many times
0: uh, we've cut to Lieutenant Nilsson's face this episode? I was actually thinking of giving it to her. Yeah. She was actually sitting in my seat earlier. Did you notice that? She almost had a line this episode. I mean, she didn't, but... Yeah. So, uh, Burnham doesn't want to go take shore leave on Earth. She seems content to stay up there with Saru. Uh, that leaves the bridge crew uh, an opportunity to have some tree
1: time down on the surface. They visit a a tree that they all remember from their time at Starfleet Academy, and they're walking across the lawn toward this tree, and they kind of come up over a little hill, and who is sitting under the tree but Boothby. Boothby's Ah. there, and they all run up and give him a hug. It's amazing. He's still alive. He's still tending the grounds of Starfleet Academy. He's still irascible. (laughs) Yeah, even though Starfleet Academy is now a, a target, Right. it's been it's been converted. Yeah, Boothby gets called away
0: because a case of wine spilled on one of the aisles. <laughs> to go clean that up. And you know uh we you know we, we weren't going to get a frakes episode without a super long pull out which is uh how we leave the episode. We pull away from this tree and the bridge
1: crew and get a get a look at at future San Francisco. Yeah, they, they still have the photovoltaic panels on the bridge. You would think that they would have moved on from photovoltaics as a technology, but no.
0: I I expected a lot more from the future, I'll tell you that.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's a cruise ship going under it. It seems like they've got coronavirus under control a thousand years in the future, so that's nice.
0: Do you have control over your feelings about this episode, Ben? Did you like it?
1: Listen... I think that there are a lot of problems with the script of this episode and some kind of strange choices in the execution. I think it's a a bumpy episode maybe the bumpiest episode of disco that we've gotten in the last ten yeah um, which is a bumpy show like I think disco has been has been a bumpy ride as a Star Trek show, but what I like about this episode is what it's trying at. Like I like the idea that their values as Starfleet are like still can be can hold currency and I like that this episode is sort of implying that they can they can make a positive impact on the future being the the storyline of this season. They're like it's it's set up in that opening monologue, right? When, when Michael says, like, I'll be damned if this, if we stand by and just let the future be kind of a, a bummer, you uh-huh. know? Like, I, 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 I like the intentionality that this episode is setting. So I think that while it's sort of a failure in terms of an episode, I think it's, uh, it made me excited for season three. And we got 10 more episodes.
0: I can get with the idea of like this season and at least the first 3 episodes being about like how federation culture integrates with with the future culture and the bumpy ride of that. Like I'm with you on that. And that's fine and fun. But there's a quality to like in the same way that like a Deus Ex Machina will swoop in and fix a story problem and 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 kind of ruin the math of a story there's something about setting a story in the future where that becomes uh Chekhov's deus ex, ex machina like the future is right there ready to change everything about what's happening on Discovery and they're being wagged by Discovery and the crew in a way I that just doesn't make any sense to me. Like, Indoye should take over the ship easily. Everything about everyone in the future should be more powerful than the discovery. And it and it doesn't make sense to me that Saru's force of will and his belief in federation
1: values is equal to that opposing force. I can't get with that. You think that Indoye should have just stolen the the dilithium and, and nuked their ship?
0: No, I don't, I don't think that, but the idea that they're on equal footing having an argument on the bridge is ridiculous.
1: I agree with that, but like, that's just a might-makes-right interpretation of how every confrontation should go. And I think that what is revealed about Indoye in that moment is that she's not a pirate. She actually believes in a concept of justice. Like She, she never once makes a move like she's going to take their dilithium she never even implies that she's interested in it.
0: Right, but the story as written and as seen on the screen is about the the melodrama winning and not the logic of the circumstance winning out. And this was like this this episode was so emblematic of that. Like I think this show is really good at drama, but I think this episode luxuriated in melodrama in a way that that did it a disservice i think one of the ways that we've experienced that in this episode is through its music and i i have loved the music on the show from the start uh friend of the podcast jeff russo uh is responsible for it and something about this episode felt different from all the others and that was The music was telling me how to feel instead of supporting how I felt already. That scene where Adira is up in the Jeffries tube switches into this this sing-songy, chimey musical score meant to tell me that everything is safe with her and the conversation about to be had is going to be light and fun. Don't give me that. Don't do that to me like I'm smart enough to understand through dialogue what's going to happen and that that moment was emblematic of a few other scenes where the music was wagging the the story dog a little much. I don't know. It sounds like I'm really I'm really hitting the episode hard, but I think it's just because we know that this show, we know what the show is capable of. And I I felt like this uh, this was a valley in a series of some pretty high peaks. So, like you say 10 episodes left. What's the mission now? Why
1: don't we know what the mission is? I think it's uh I think it's reconnect with Starfleet. It's uh and and I mean I like that there isn't a mission for next week uh, aside from that. Like I think that there's like an overarching thing that they would like, but but also this sort of feels like season 3 could be much less of a Single storyline told in 13 parts and more of a Mm -hmm. more of a traditional Star Trek show where they have a different adventure each time
0: yeah I I wonder if what I'm sensing is a show straining against that you know for being the other way for a couple of seasons right
1: that maybe maybe I'm having to get used to this new thing maybe so I mean we'll see maybe maybe I'm totally wrong maybe I'm maybe I'm misjudging where where this thing is headed. Yeah. Um but uh one thing that is never misjudged is people's desire to get priority one messages on the greatest discovery Adam do you want to see if we have any P1s in the inbox? Oh uh, there's there's a lot of
0: desire in the priority one box I'm I'm looking at here Ben. <laughs>
2: priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel
0: promotional desire is what we're starting with a promotional message Ben wow it's from our friends over at Geek Life Crisis no kidding uh, Longtime OG friends of Desoto over at Geek Life Crisis, the podcast, a show that that did an an entire episode dedicated to the Greatest Generation.
1: Yeah, that was uh, that was a real trip. I, I I listened to that episode and could not believe that it existed in the world.
0: Yeah, uh, a tremendous kindness uh, from them. That we've we've met and hung out with them a bunch of times during live shows and. Uh, both really great so uh, here's the message from them five years ago i was a single guy at a hinterlands bar meet and greet handing out geek life crisis podcast business cards (laughs) that's how you get the word out about your podcast ben yeah that's how you do it podcasting the real chick magnet right (laughs) now i'm married with a baby on the way whoa Because of my wife, my Venn diagram of shame has expanded to include anime, so now Geek Life Crisis is spending 24 eps reviewing my fave anime, Stein's Gate. Huh. My goal, convince co-host Chuck anime is worthy entertainment. Hoping FODs will join us. Geek Life Crisis podcast. It's not just a business card. (laughs) Wow yeah uh, many thanks to Steve and Chuck of the geek life
1: crisis podcast boy it, <laughs> and uh congratulations yeah congrats on on the marriage and the baby and getting into anime I think congrats deserved by all three life events
0: I mean I'm I'm drawing a point between two dots here like I'm I'm imagining that Steve met his wife via business card yeah right I mean the way all great relationships
1: start. <laughs> <laughs> one can only assume
0: If you're out there and into anime Maybe start a relationship with Geek Life Crisis
1: Yeah, look for them on uh, your podcast app And uh, thanks, Steven Chuck I, I still have my Geek Life Crisis Greatest Generation episode official t-shirt Wow which They, they yeah. made a, an official t-shirt for that specific episode And I, I don't know if they gave you one, but I got one.
0: Oh yeah, I got one Nice yeah. I'm wearing it right now
1: Oh man I'm not wearing anything. That's how much I like Geek Life Crisis. You're walking around like Saru. (laughs) (laughs) of our second Priority One message is from Ben, your father, and it is to S&E, and it goes like this. Someday, I'll tell you how, after your mother and I brought you home from the hospital in the middle of a pandemic, we watched New Trek... Well, we fed you and rocked you to sleep so I could keep up with this podcast. Some other day, I'll let you listen so you can view this P1. We love you, and we love having twins that weren't manufactured on Capellius. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Capellius is the new Risa, right? I guess so, yeah. That's where babies get manufactured, according to Ben. Congrats, Ben, your father, for uh, having a couple of twins, and thanks for... Keeping up with our show, despite how much sleep I'm sure you're not getting right now. Yeah, I mean uh, we've we've heard it from many people at our
0: live shows when we used to have live shows. Uh, greatest gin keeps the milk flowing.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's what they say. Nothing makes boobs gush like greatest discovery. <laughs>
0: uh, listen to you design a new T-shirt. <laughs> Flooding basements and gushing boobs <laughs> That's the greatest disco promise Well, uh, if uh, you're trying to get the word out on a podcast project Or uh, or about some new babies You've got a yeah. it. It on over to MaximumFun.org Slash Jumbotron And uh, put a priority one message in our show
1: Do it and uh, I recommend it, Uh, it works great. Uh, Trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus handyman electric face shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality, and this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off, plus free shipping with code TREK at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at Manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat, but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something, was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times, and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals. And they're ready to go just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com trek50 and use code TREK50 to get 50% off. That's code TREK50 at factormeals.com TREK50 to get
2: 50% off.
1: Back for another game. You know it. What's going on?
2: Just one more week till Max Fun Drive.
1: <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one.
0: Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks.
2: Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly, incredibly fascinating.
1: Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app.
2: And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben.
0: What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself an Edward Larkin?
1: I think I'm going to give it to book for belly aching about the uniform so much. I feel like that was, uh, that was like the silliest part of the episode to me, uh, or at least the silliest character moment, not the silliest part of the episode full stop, but, Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) just the amount of belly aching he does about having to change outfits for a second. Give me a fucking break book. (laughs) I've got a rash from putting on a different pair of pants. Come on.
0: I mean, it looks like he was wearing an undershirt, so what is he even talking about?
1: Yeah. What are you, allergic to looking cool as hell? (laughs) Are you allergic to
0: Cal Hudson? (laughs) Because
1: let me tell you, no one's got that allergy. Give me a fucking break. So, uh, book is my Larkin for this episode. How about you?
0: Uh, I am going to coin the term Nilsen Reacts in this episode because I feel like we got... Three or four of them. Poor Sarah Midich, uh, not getting any dialogue this episode. I don't think she got any dialogue in the last episode. She gets to go and she gets to do everything the other bridge crew people get to do. She gets to go visit the tree. Maybe she gets a line of dialogue down there. But unlike with Reese or Detmer or like all we get is Nilsson reacts. Is she the one that
1: played Arium for the first season and then she is. Arium was recast?
0: I think it's hella cool that career-wise she changed lanes out of the character who dies and yeah. who
1: lives, and also... She really ducked under that blade, didn't she? <laughs> she
0: also shed the loaf, the robot loaf? Yeah. I want her agent. I mean, I love I love our agent, don't get me wrong. Yeah. Uh, but, but hell of a job by Sarah Midich's agent for sure.
1: She's like one of those people that like was a background person on Cheers, and then like was just there long enough. There were they were like, all right, let's give this guy a name and some lines in you know three out of every five episodes. She
0: really was given the con when Saru was away. You see her yeah. getting out of his chair uh, during the red alert, and I'm like, she gets the con, but but she doesn't get any lines.
1: Who knows, man?
0: <laughs> I I need the the Lieutenant Nilsson bottle episode. You know that's coming. Oh man, that would be
1: great. Let's get yeah. more. Let's let's get let's start doing the TNG thing where you go around the around the horn. Every bridge crew member gets a gets a little episode about them. Yeah,
0: that's what I'm saying. And maybe they'll act sensibly, unlike Saru. This episode. That would be great.
1: Um, well, did you watch a, a a trailer for the next episode? Because I didn't. Oh, I did.
0: Uh, I did. I had to watch uh, the Will Wheaton wrap-up show in order to see it. Oh. Uh, it had to do most with uh, with Culber. Like hmm. Culber is uh, is taking care of a bunch of people, uh, and and sort of taking stock of the. Of the emotional debt that everyone has had to pay by going on this time travel mission and that's kind of the tease that I got. Damn. So uh, Culber not in this episode I think at all but uh, looks like like he is a big big part of the next one.
1: That's awesome. Well I'm looking forward to it and uh, looking forward to next week but I'm also looking forward to passing the keys to the pod car to Rob so he can take us out of here.
0: Take us home Rob's Ben and I can't drive anymore. (laughs) It's dangerous. No longer safe to drive.
2: You do it. Vote. Vote. The Greatest Discovery is a Maximum Fun podcast hosted by Adam Pranica and Ben Harrison. The show is produced by me, Rob Schulte. Our theme music is by Adam Ragusia, who happens to have a wonderfully helpful and awesome cooking channel on youtube go check it out if you're looking for more trek check out our plethora of episodes in the back catalog there's a lot to discover don't forget you can now follow us on twitter and instagram under the handles greatest trek those accounts are run by the great card daddy bill tilly thanks bill If you'd like to support this podcast, make sure that you head to MaximumFun.org slash join where you will get all of our bonus episodes as well as all of the bonus content brought to you by Maximum Fun. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week with another episode of The Greatest Discovery. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture Artist Audience Supported.